Hello and welcome to Real-Time Strategy, a bi-weekly podcast examining the gaming industry through the lens of public relations. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Mosier, joined by my co-host, Caitlin Redwing. How are you doing this week? I'm good. I am. I feel like I haven't been on the podcast in a while, but that's not true. It's GDC <laughs> has confused my internal clock. It has but warped it, time and space. <laughs> it has, but it feels good to be like back home at my desk here on the podcast, and I'm looking forward to our episode today. Yeah, in- internally, uh, we have a company retreat coming up, and Caitlin had messaged me like, oh, are we going to have to like skip a week? Uh, you know, with the, the retreat, it's gonna be tough to record in person. And I go, thankfully, there's a week in between GDC <laughs> and the retreat. You're like, you're traveling all over the place these days. I am. Yeah, I uh, definitely had my my schedules mixed up. I'm going out of town this weekend before Vegas. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then there's PAX East next month. Yeah, it's it's busy going from um, doing nothing for like the past two years to all of a sudden having like multiple trips. I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to handle it. <laughs> well, speaking of GDC today, we are joined by fellow triple pointer, first time guest and GDC attendee, Eric Schuler. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. So Eric has his tradition. Since you are a first-time guest on the show, we're going to ask a couple getting-to-know-you questions, introduce you to the audience. So Eric, just to start easy, what are you playing right now? Well, I was thoroughly enjoying Pokemon Legends Arceus, but I feel ready to move on to another game now, and I plan on returning to playing Final Fantasy XIV, because if I don't, Mm. I'll lose Mm. my house. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so how deep are you into final fantasy 14 are you a, like a long time player have you gotten into it recently uh i started it because of the pandemic and i have completed all of the main story quests as of february <laughs> which is quite the accomplishment because that's like five jrpgs <laughs> if, if you know anything about jrpgs they are very long um, but it's a great game. I'm really enjoying it. I look forward to diving back in. Yeah, you and uh, past uh, guest and host uh, Sarah Green uh, make Final Fantasy XIV. It is so intimidating from the outside, but everybody who's in the inner circle makes it sound like it's the best time. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I've never been much of a MMO type of guy, but... Final Fantasy XIV managed to hook me in. I think it's because of its focus on story. Um, The story is very well done in the game, Um, especially as you progress further. You you can tell that um, they've come to really embrace that aspect of the game, and the characters are very... um, very, uh, You you definitely want to know how the characters are developing as you progress through the game. So... Nice. Caitlin, have you ever dabbled? Um, yes, on the GameCube, but I can't even remember which one I played. Because <laughs> I just like jumped in to one. I don't... I would have to look up what Final Fantasy games were on. Probably Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. That would be my guess. Let me look it up. Because I know I'll recognize it. Yes, this is... Yep. A thousand percent. <laughs> this is the one that I played. Oh, that's so crazy. You've just unlocked so many memories by like looking at these screenshots. And I remember I loved this game, but I just haven't played any other Final Fantasy games since. I've watched my brother played the, is it the 7 remaster that just came out? Yeah, I watched him play that and was confused the whole time. Uh. <laughs> that sounds about right yeah far. that's classic Nomura yeah. right there <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I uh I think I've mentioned it before I I don't often play JRPGs uh just mainly because they are super long and I feel like they have very complex stories and I I guess I'm a simpleton <laughs> but <laughs> They're massive undertakings, too. As Eric mentioned, Final Fantasy XIV is like five games rolled into one. (laughs) Yes. uh, Definitely not something you're going to finish on a weekend. (laughs) It will take take you months to get through the entire series. 
So, Eric, uh, you, of course, are a fellow Triple Point team member with us. What brought you into the worlds of game PR? Uh, could you describe your career leading up to this point? Yeah, sure. Um, well, back in 2015, I was a freelance news writer for IGN while I lived in Tokyo, Japan. And when I returned to the U.S., I started switching over to games PR and I worked on popular IP such as Professor Layden and the Arc System Works fighting games. Um, but Triple Point is actually my first full dive into games PR agency experience. Very nice, very nice. I will have to maybe at some point do an episode all about your time in Japan uh, because I've always been fascinated by doing a deep dive about your... How many years were you there? A year or two? I lived there for two years. One of them was study abroad. And then after college, I lived in Tokyo for a year. Yeah, I learned so much about Eric last week at GDC. We had a triple point dinner and I realized I knew nothing about him. And he like <laughs> briefly mentioned that he lived in Japan and then briefly mentioned that he lived in Michigan, which is where I live. <laughs> and I was like, you have a crazy background. And now, and he's like, yeah, and I worked for IGN. And I was like, okay. It's apparently I don't know enough about my coworkers, <laughs> but no, is he is a very fascinating um, background, and yeah. Also, so I, Eric, can you talk a little bit about um, your work at Triple Point? Is interesting compared to like some of the rest of us, where you work on Wuvit. Um, can you talk a little bit about what Wuvit is, what you do for Wuvit, and? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, Wuvit is an API integrated influencer management tool. Um, and what's really cool about Wuvit is all of our content creators are verified um, to be real by the Twitch and uh, YouTube API data. And all of our campaigns are created by the publishers themselves, unlike some other services which might auto-populate using data from Steam. Um, and Wuvit streamlines the uh, influencer relationship management experience through key distribution, tracking, and reports. Thanks. Yeah, I, um, me and Sam get a lot of use out of Wuvit on some of our accounts, and it's just been really helpful. Um, it's a very helpful tool for PR to just be able to have something that like manages all influencer relations and is easy to track like if a video is posted. Um, so thank you for all the work that you do on there because I know we come to you with questions all the time and you're very speedy in your response and helpful and I know our clients appreciate it as well. Oh, thank you. I'm always here to help. Feel free to hit me up anytime. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's uh, you keep the 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 Woovit beast fed, and it's like Caitlin said, yeah, whether it's for influencer discovery or yeah, key distribution or plenty of other features, yeah, it's it's very cool. I like that line. I'm gonna use it on my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> Feed the Woovit beast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so now, Eric, one last getting to know you question. The, you know, the most signature one of all, if you're going to talk to a, a fellow video game fan, what is your favorite game or games of all time? Well, I've been a lifelong Zelda fan ever since I played the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Nice. Uh, I think that game is really revolutionary for its time. Um, and it helped me develop a love for games that continues to inspire me today and got me to where I am today. Um, but I also love Breath of the Wild. And I'm very excited for its sequel. Yeah, we received heartbreaking news this week that uh, the sequel has been delayed, uh, not just like out of the window of 2022, but all the way to spring 2023. So the wait continues. Rip. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it wasn't that surprising. No. I think a lot of us were like, okay, we haven't seen anything in a while. They're being quiet. Like, it's... I would have been shocked if it came out this year. Yeah, and there were there were good points made on Twitter that, you know, there's big new Pokemon games coming out this fall. Mm -hmm. Nintendo has quite the slate this year. It's not like it's going to be a weak release year. There's Splatoon 3, Xenoblade Chronicles 3, uh, Kirby just came out and it's supposed to be great. Can't wait to hop into that. But there was a sliver of hope coming from me that 
E3 was going to be this gargantuan blowout, kind of like um, Bethesda Fallout 4 style, where we get the name, a fall release date, everything you want to know about Breath of the Wild 2, and it comes out this fall. But that was certainly wishful thinking. Was Breath of, was the original Breath of the Wild, was that revealed at E3? That's a good question. I just, I have like this faint memory that that's what they did for Breath of the Wild was like their big reveal was at E3. I want to say so because it was the pre-rendered trailer. There was no gameplay where Link was riding around in the field. He was wearing the blue cloak that some people thought like, oh, is that Zelda? And then he fights the Guardian. I'm not E3, sure if we got a title. 20, 2016 Breath of the Wild reveal trailer. Okay. Ah. That yeah, I remember that. 2016. The big deal was like they were showing like this really, you know, expanse field at the time. And that was about all that we saw, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, I, I get all nostalgic about these like games that come out and become, you know, masterpieces. But like in the 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 realm before that, not knowing what they're going to be. Be like, mm-hmm. what, what even is Breath of the Wild? <laughs> like, how is it going to work? I'm actually glad the sequel is delayed because I am a bad Zelda fan. And I didn't finish Breath of the Wild because I was an angry monster and was like, this doesn't feel like a Zelda game. <laughs> oh, no. I, uh, I am judging you hardcore right now. I am so sorry. I just, I I don't know. There was something about it where I, I think I was really excited when it came out. And as I was playing, it just like the open world aspect, I think, threw me. And I was trying to do all of the shrines and I was like, oh, these don't feel like dungeons. And I was like, I think my expectations for it were just, they weren't met because I, I was expecting the wrong things. Um, but I, I have a feeling now that I kind of know what it is and just my love for Zelda and wanting to go back into that world that when I replay it, I have a feeling I'll like it. I don't know why that is. I just, I do. <laughs> I think that's a fair assessment. Honestly, Breath of the Wild is the biggest change to the Zelda formula Mm -hmm. in many, many, many years. Um, One of the complaints about Skyward Sword, which I believe was its predecessor, was it was too formulaic, right? So um, it'll be cool, though, to see a return to proper dungeons. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would love that. It also, like the teaser had a darker aspect to it. And as like Twilight Princess is my favorite Zelda game, which just has is a dark darker thematically throughout. Um, I whatever this sequel is, I'm hoping it kind of it's just a little bit more darker in nature. I've seen some arguments online that Elden Ring is proof that you confuse the open world freedom of Breath of the Wild with more traditional like dungeon exploration. So yes, I'm with you. Right. That I hope that happens. What were you gonna say, Eric? I was going to say, like, we were talking about E3 reveals um, earlier. I will never forget the Twilight Princess E3 <sighs> reveal, 2004. So good. <laughs> On our E3 episode with Eddie May, yeah, I, I with uh, Miyamoto coming out with the shield and the sword, <laughs> like, iconic. <laughs> Guys, I'm going to, like, start crying thinking about Twilight Princess. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> so, Eric, you mentioned uh, Ocarina of Time, Breath of the Wild. As a huge Zelda fan, you have a beautiful poster behind you. Oh, yes. yes. What is, if you had to pick a third to, to make a Triforce of Zelda games, if you will, what would your third favorite Zelda game oh be? Oh, my God. That's so hard. Um, you know, my favorite Zelda has always changed throughout the years. I think right now I would say Majora's Mask. Nice. Mm. Yes. Um, I do appreciate the darker Zeldas myself. Um, Majora's Mask, I think, is up there <laughs> when you when you talk about Dark Zelda games, and yeah. it's a it's a little quirkier than the other Zelda games that I appreciate. Um, but yeah, I would pick Majora's Mask as my third right now. I do have a soft spot for Skyward Sword, but I also realize it's uh, downsides, <laughs> downsides, down downsides. Yeah. You know. It's flaws. There you go. I realize it's, it's, it's flaws. It's a middle middle of the road Zelda game, right? I that's I think like I really enjoy Skyward Sword, but it's not one of my favorites. the The funny thing about Zelda is there really isn't a bad Zelda game. That's true, <laughs> right? <laughs> Though I you're gonna judge me so hard. Uh oh. I didn't finish Majora's Mask 
because that game scares me because I had traumatic <laughs> nightmares as a child of a moon coming to kill me. <laughs> like I had it every single night for like my in- for years and years and years and I don't know what it was. And when I played Majora's Mask, I was like this is too close to home and it's terrifying me and just like I'm not good with like the time time trials not the right word but like time restrictions mm-hmm. like the 3 day. So yeah, I didn't finish Majora's Mask even though I like the darker themes cuz I was like this is my nightmare as a child, and <laughs> I don't like to be reminded of that. Did you ever see the uh, TV commercials that Nintendo did for that? No. Y- you probably would hate them. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll watch them. Yeah. It's basically like people like waiting for the end of the world to come, and they're like, oh, we're all dependent on Link to save us. <laughs> yeah, no, that was my, my nightmare. I was getting taken out of daycare, and my mom came the sky was red and everything was on fire and there was this angry moon in the sky. It was Majora's Mask before Majora's Mask was a thing. Yeah, that sounds accurate. The commercials are just like that. (laughs) (laughs) Straight out of the imagination of Caitlin Redwing. (laughs) That's right. Nightmare fuel. (laughs) Well, uh, Eric is not only a Zelda expert, but he is also a frequent GDC attendee. GDC 2022 marks your seventh one you've attended, correct? That's correct. Correct. Well, perfect. We'll dig into talking about the show. Uh, One quick disclaimer, Triple Point works with many gaming companies that may have come up or will come up on the show, including Blizzard, the Pokemon Company, Gearbox, and more. Visit TriplePointPR.com for our full client roster. Now, on to GDC. Uh, This was, for both of you, I believe, the first industry event you attended, I'm sure, in in two years. Ever. Uh, Ever. Three years yes. for me. Three years. So yeah. long time coming for both of you, whether it had been your first or just been a while. Uh, initial thoughts. How was, uh, how was GDC 2022? Well, uh, it was nice to be in person and mingling with industry professionals again. I really did miss that. I'm looking forward to more to come. Uh, notably, um, Kaylin might not be aware, but notably, GDC was a little, I would describe it as sparse this year. Um, if you wanted to find a seat at a panel, there were plenty of them, which isn't normally the case. Normally, the rooms will get full and you wouldn't be able to make it to the talk if you came too late. That was definitely not a problem this year. Um, and there was a hybrid model going on, too. So some of the speakers were, you know, not at GDC. They were speaking um through like a zoom session to an audience um, which was different and i think that's something that will be at gdc moving forward and something that will be the new status quo yeah i learned from the axios gaming newsletter yesterday official numbers from gdc uh 12,000 people attended in person this year another 5,000 joined virtually so that's 17,000 in total so that's a little over half of how many people attended in 2019, which was 29,000. Um, so, you know, definitely a symptom of coming back from uh, going back to events post-pandemic or post-vaccine, I should say. Caitlin, what were you going to say? I was going to say, like, even though I hadn't been to GDC before, the show floor felt sparse as you were walking through mm-hmm. it. There just was a ton of empty space um, and booths were empty. Um so yeah, it's, and I only spent like a few hours on the show floor. I was busy elsewhere. We were doing a lot of work actually outside of GDC, but just in the area. Um, so that could also like contribute to some of the numbers. I know a lot of other people who just kind of showed up, but didn't get passes. They just weren't going to go into GDC and they just used it as an opportunity to schedule meetings and any like demos that were happening in suites outside of GDC because that's what we did for one of our clients is we had a suite where we did demos instead of paying for like the booth space um we we did it a little bit differently and it kind of helped us create more of a safe space where we could clean not as many people um try to cut down on COVID exposure since I know that was also a huge play at GDC. We're seeing a lot of people who attended coming out and they have tested positive for COVID. 
which is unfortunate. Um, I know I've gotten like one of the alerts on my phone that was like, you are in contact or near someone who has been exposed and I've been testing negative, thankfully, but not everybody is as lucky. Right. And um, it's worth noting that it's not inexpensive to attend GDC. It is a very expensive event to attend if you're not being sponsored by someone. Mm-hmm. So the practice of of attending and not getting a badge and going to hotels is very common, even before the oh, pandemic. Okay. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Because I th- like even my badge... I think I just had the expo pass and that is just like, I think just the show floor, like not even the talks. So they have like lots of the tiered badges where you can choose different ones, depending on if you want to go to a lot of talks, none of the talks or just a couple. Right. And that's one of the complaints about GDC too, is the prices are not accessible for all developers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So what were some of the things you were... So Caitlin mentioned staffing demos. Eric, what was your experience like? What were you doing day-to-day this year? So I attended GDC as a conference associate, which are essentially paid volunteers who do on-site tasks such as guarding doors, scanning badges, monitoring sessions, and assisting speakers, and more. We're we're the little, like, gremlins that run around and make sure the show, (laughs) you know, runs smoothly and no one notices. (laughs) Yeah, you're the unseen force that makes sure it all goes over smoothly. So, and this was not your first time being an event associate, correct? That's right. This is my fourth time as a conference associate. Um, Obviously, I really love doing it, or I wouldn't be coming back and doing (laughs) it. Um, it's And the cool thing about the Conference Associates is it consists of um, other people who are working in the industry, other people who want to work in the industry. So it also provides a very valuable networking opportunity as well. That's good to know. So how did you first get involved with being a Conference Associate? What, what picked your interest in applying in the first place? So back in 2013... When I was still in college, um, I knew I wanted to work in the industry, um, and I knew GDC was an event that I needed to attend, and um, like I mentioned before, it's not easy to attend GDC, especially as a student. It's very expensive. We're talking about an all-access badge is $2,000 or more, mm-hmm. and um, but I found out that there was, at the time, a volunteer program, and that it was unpaid at the time that I could sign up for. And if I was lucky, I would get selected and um, I could come out, uh, assist with the event about 25 hours of work time. And I would get a free all access pass. And that, and I, uh, I ended up on a waiting list actually. I wasn't accepted right away. And then about a month before GDC, I was informed that I was selected to be part of the CAs. Um, and I jumped on it. I was like, yeah, we're going to do this. And that was my first time going to GDC, my first time going, well, technically my first time going to San Francisco, the first time I don't remember. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, it was an exciting time. I really enjoyed it. Nice. So then tell me about your years as a conference associate. Do you have... Any fun stories of run-ins with industry folks, panels that have really stuck in your mind? Are you, Were you at the doors for panels? Were you mostly just on the show floor? I want to hear all about it. Oh, my goodness. Well, um, in the past, I, I usually was assisting with the panels, um, including badging, helping speakers set up. Uh, I think one of my favorite experiences was I got to attend the a talk about Breath of the Wild. Um, I think this was 20... I don't think it was... It might have been the launch year, 2017, or it might have been 2018. And the director, I believe, of Breath of the Wild was there. And I got to meet him along with other people from Nintendo. And um, that was super cool. Wow. Uh, basically got to tell him that I really appreciated his work. <laughs> um and um, I've also met uh, Genova Chen, who was um, the creator of Journey, along with his team at uh, that game company. I've met Kelly Santiago. Um, 
<laughs> I've met so many people there. Uh, I was very involved with GDC as part of the IGDA as well. Um, I was actually one of the people managing the IGDA Scholars Program. Um, so I met people like Tim Schaefer through that. Um, for yeah, those uh, who for those who may not know, can you explain what the IGDA is? Yes, for sure. Um, so funny enough, my second GDC that I attended was through IGDA. The International Game Developers Association is the world's largest nonprofit membership organization that helps serve game developers and people who are involved in the industry. Um, there's many different chapters. Uh, that help address different aspects like LGBT or more professional focus ones, um, you know, like for localization. Uh, notably, there's also women in games that the IGDA helps support. Um, and they help sort of stand up for workers' rights and making sure that um, we have fair working conditions in the industry. Yeah, it's they have over 150 chapters for the IGDA, which was that's that's a lot of chapters. Um, it, but yeah, I hadn't even heard of them until I started working here at Triple Point, and it's just been kind of incredible to see their reach. And I keep meeting people like you and our colleague Blaine, who have been members of these chapters and have worked with them for years. Uh, they also have a really great Discord that I often frequent and lurk in uh, where they just provide lots of resources and there's uh, you can connect with many game developers and other professionals in the industry right Blaine and I were both part of the IGDA Atlanta chapter actually um, we were both officers at one point or board members I should say <laughs> um, and uh, that's honestly how I met Blaine small world <laughs> right yeah, I didn't know you guys had a history until I learned that last week. You guys were blowing my mind. Yeah, Blaine and I go way back. <laughs> <laughs> so this year, GDC 2022, uh, there, do, were you all able to attend any? Because like you said, uh, it, even from an outsider's perspective, growing up, following the games industry year round, I would notice GDC not only a thing for professional networking and well, I should say professional learnings, also a thing for professional networking. I would, you know, listen to gaming podcasts where they would describe post-GDC parties or mixers, etc. Uh, Triple Point put on its own uh, PR-focused mixer. Am I correct? Yep. Yeah, Pizza PRT. The PRT, yes. Aww. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we need a wah-wah-wah. <laughs> uh, we did have a pizza party it was all like comms professionals i got to meet some of our clients um other like people in the industry which was just very exciting um it it was nice to be in a space to talk to other professionals who kind of like understand everything that you're going through which is kind of like part of this podcast too is just to talk about communications and reach out to people who are in our same field and understand because it's it's a very interesting field and not everybody understands it. We can't always talk about like what we're doing because a lot of things are secret, but you can talk around the issue and everybody <laughs> knows what you're talking about. Uh, but that was a good event. Um, I actually didn't go to any of the other like parties or events. I had dinners with other clients and just like hanging out with other triple pointers um, many people that I talked to also weren't going to the events that were put on by, I don't know if it was put on by GDC, but it's like the GDC affiliated parties. Uh, I don't, Eric, did you attend any of those? So funny enough, I did the same thing as you did. <laughs> uh, I think, it, you know, this year, honestly, I think, um, you know, it it's a wise idea to limit you know, going to mass gatherings. Um, personally, I really appreciated the PRT. Mm. Um, there's always been a lack of spaces for comms at GDC. And I was really glad to see Triple Point hosting this event. Um, I would love to see more like it at GDC. Um, I was even half-jokingly... Um, 
thinking that we should have our own marketing slash comms summit <laughs> at GDC. And honestly, uh, I really think, you know, it would be very beneficial to have a summit like that at GDC to help devs get more, become more aware of what we do and how we can help them. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're listening, <laughs> Informa, <laughs> I am definitely down to help organize that. Um, but yeah, the PRD was the only event I really attended this year. Well, as triple pointers, we're very proud of you. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a great idea. There were multiple times where, like, I, even as I was on the show floor and I was talking to people at their booths and was explaining that, no, I'm PR, I'm not a dev. And they're like, oh, PR, like, what do you do? And I was like, oh, hey, I, I realize not, not everybody understands what public relations professionals do and why we, we would be at a game developers event. Oh, yeah, right. Eric, like, I don't know. Let's let's write up a proposal. I'm totally <laughs> down. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like walking into our next question, Eric, you outlined a very nice suggestion for a future GDC, uh, allowing whether it's just a panel or a summit or more events for games comms people. With this being, Caitlin, your first industry event, Eric, your first in three years, what would you like to see from GDC 2023? Uh, coming off of this one. A comp summit. <laughs> <laughs> I really would. I would love a comp summit. Um, I feel like we have so much that we could share with each other and with other developers. Um, I really think it's a an area that is sorely missed or absent at GDC. And it would be very beneficial to have it there at that event. You know, the, the premier networking event of the year right mm -hmm. <laughs> so i would love to see comms more comms representation i'll support it i <laughs> i'm trying to think of what else i would want to see um but that's it's hard to give that suggestion when i did so much outside of gdc and a lot of that was due to just covid and we not entirely sure how many people were going to be at gdc um so i think I think it's just going to evolve naturally as more and more people go in the coming years, uh, hoping that COVID gets better and does not continue to have variants and get bad. But mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. So then widening our scope of events from just GDC, what did you all, what are the key learnings you're going to bring into whether if you're attending PAX East or you know, anything that might or might not happen this summer? Are there any mental notes you're like, okay, I want to remember this for the next time I'm going to an industry thing? Try and schedule your meetings out, like, as soon as you can. Um, I, I know it's hard. Like, we had to try and do scheduling for events and demos sort of short notice because a lot of people didn't know if they were going to GDC until, like, the week before, couple weeks before. Um but especially for packs, like we're ramping up, um, getting our plans ready for that right now and reaching out to people and be like, hey, are you going? Like we've got like some cool things going on and sending invites just as soon as we can um, because it gets hectic and everybody's schedules get really busy. So I think that's I think that's my main takeaway is just to just try to get some things scheduled earlier than if possible. But I, I even know some people who are still unsure if they're going to PAX and they might make a last minute decision. I approach GDC differently this year than I normally do. And that is I, I paced myself throughout the event um, because it is a marathon and you can burn yourself very easily. And I'm honestly very proud of myself for not pushing myself too far, making sure I drink enough water, making sure I got enough sleep. Thankfully, I was at the Marriott Marquis, which is like right around the corner, so I could ex escape for like an hour. Um, it did wonders, honestly. And that's something I want to continue doing moving forward um, for future events, because I think self-care is very important, um, especially when you are attending these week-long non-stop events when you include the parties, right? Yeah. So, 
Were you, were you like me and slept all weekend? Because that's yeah. what I did. <laughs> so when I got home, I think I slept for 13 hours. I'm not yeah. kidding. It's, yeah. <laughs> I thought I had COVID because I just, I was so tired and I slept like so long that first night and then even on Sunday I was like oh why do I just want to like sleep and I was like I must have COVID but my tests were like negative and I was like wow I really just wiped myself out at GDC but I uh I was running around doing lots of things yeah and it's easy to do it is at GDC Mm-hmm. There's some, there are just so many things that you want to see and so many people you want to talk to. And unfortunately, I did have to tell some people, I was like, I just can't meet you this time, like the next event. And that's one of the perks of having um, a badge is you do mm-hmm. get access to the GDC vault. So if there are any talks that you really want to see but couldn't see, you can actually visit them later on the GDC vault and watch them. So that's something I always kept in mind, too. <laughs> I, I also liked the, I don't know if this was new, the scanning of the badges and other people's, like, if you scan someone's badge, their information came up on the app, um, and then they could see your information. So it was easy to kind of keep track of, like, who did I meet? Who do I want to follow up with and talk to? Oh, that is new. That's really cool. I actually didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> that is neat. Yes. Someone someone showed it to me. They're like, let me scan your badge. And I was like, scan it for what? <laughs> I was like, what, why? But yeah, they explained that to me. And I was like, that is such an easier way than like me digging in my bag and like us people exchanging business cards and then trying to remember like, who's this person? But cause like your photo shows up in the app too. If you put it in there, you can put your photo and your full name and the company you're at. And that's pretty neat. I like that idea. Yeah. So Eric, whether it was you working as a conference associate or Caitlin rumblings from the PRD, uh, did you two notice any particular trends or, you know, were there any hot topics of conversation that you were noticing bubbling around? Uh, blockchain. Mm. I was going to say the same. That's That was the topic on everybody's mind. There was just, I don't know, I don't have a take to give you, but there just was a lot of blockchain. And when I was on the floor, that booth, it's a pretty large booth, was noticeably empty. Um, Are you talking about the, was it We Made? Was that the booth? I don't know if that's the one I'm thinking of. But yeah, blockchain was definitely a hot topic this year. Though I expected more of it than what I saw. Oh, it was We Made. I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. In Vengo. Okay. I, it there was, was like empty. a lot of small. There, it was empty. And it was like yeah. a large space. So it was notable. Like when you were walking through the the floor, that like this really large area was empty, even though there wasn't as many people. Other places still, at least, had um, attendees in their booths. Yeah, in terms of blockchain, uh, of course, I was not there, but uh, Jason and Cecilia's Bloomberg Gaming newsletter, which comes out every Friday, uh, that was the topic of theirs coming off of GDC. Was that was blockchain Web three or the was the hot thing uh, seen on the show floor and they compared it to kind of the VR, um, you know, craze or, Mm -hmm. you know, when that burned hottest in like 2013, 2014. So the newsletter, again, uh, didn't have a particular take. You did mention that, you know, a lot of industry folks are skeptical of it while some feel that Mm -hmm. it's going to take some time to make a game that properly utilizes it. But the biggest point is just that uh, it'll be interesting to follow to see if this is just a fad or something that will find its its place. It it's one where I I don't imagine all of the companies that are like uh, uh ups like what is the word I'm thinking of startups <laughs> I was like upstarters <laughs> not the word that I'm looking for <laughs> um startups that are all focused on blockchain I don't imagine all of them will make it. I, I don't want to call it a fad. I just want to say it's it's like the fresh and shiny new thing and everybody wants a piece of it. And there probably will be a couple who do it right. Um, Not sure exactly what that is. I myself need to be, I I need to be educated more on it um, to try to figure out like, okay, what are are there pros to it? How can it be implemented in a way that's like good, like not terrible for the environment and doesn't take advantage of players? Um. 
so yeah, it that that is a space I I know as a company will definitely be watching just to see like who are these companies, um, what are they trying to accomplish, and yeah, who who does it successfully. And that's an uphill battle because I think unlike the VR movement, which I was there for, and I think if it wasn't for the pandemic, we would have seen a lot more blockchain on the floor. Um, I don't think there is as unified a front uh, supporting the idea that blockchain is you know someone that everyone wants to jump into. I mostly think that's because of the notable backlash. So companies are hesitant now to jump on it. Um, so they have to, they sort of have to, you know, there has to be an example that proves like they can implement it well and fans will be pleased with it. Yeah, there's, I'm sure more companies that we even know of right now are looking into it. Um, I can't remember. I don't think it was Ubisoft. Someone just hired like a blockchain expert too. And I think they were like pretty upfront that it was just like, we're just like trying to figure out what, <laughs> what it is. And so they brought in an expert to try and figure out like what they're going to do with it. Um, and it's not as easy to grasp as VR is, honestly. Right. It's very complicated. It's, yeah, my, my brain doesn't want to grasp it. <laughs> Same. I'm still trying to learn it myself. Yeah, Eric, you make a good point because as you know, comparing VR a couple of years ago to blockchain now, there are certain similarities in the way that they are the hot button topic and, and seeming like new trend of the industry at the moment. But the difference was seeing VR on the show floor can make you an evangelist. That was the whole thing. Like VR is hard to understand until mm. you get your hands on it. <laughs> by its nature web3 and blockchain you can't really get your hands on it so uh yeah that makes right. it a lot harder to prove its merits it, they need to introduce it in vr where i can like <laughs> yes. use my hand and somehow like pull it apart i i don't know how it works but uh yeah well i, I still think like even vr still hasn't really reached the level that developers were expecting back in 2013 right it's still work in progress so yeah it's block blockchain will take several years i think for it to be embraced yeah yeah vr is becoming more accessible i know more and more people who have like i just got a headset in the past year um i work on a vr client at gdc i was doing vr demos most people that I gave demos to were familiar with VR and like easily were able to grasp it. There were a couple people who they hadn't ever played VR. They were interested in it and it was, there is a very, there's a learning curve when it comes to VR. And that reminded me of that because I, sometimes it's easy to forget after you've like been in it and you're like, oh yeah, it is not the easiest thing to just jump into it's very jarring and you can't see the controllers and you've got all these buttons and uh yeah i i'm excited for vr to become i don't know if mainstream's the word but just more and more people to have access to it there's lots of cool things you can do in vr thankfully uh meta is taking steps for that i think oculus is the most accessible vr headset we've had ever <laughs> yeah i uh yeah i i'm looking i'm keeping my eye out for when apple eventually makes their vr headset because that just seems the most natural fit rumors are so swirling cool. that we might see it this year um whether to release this year will yeah. be up you know we'll kind of be probably up in the air until we get closer to the end of the year but i am fascinated in following it as well caitlin you reminded me with this being your first industry event, this also would have been the first time doing in-person demos. Um, yeah. Which, you know, I, I we've kind of grown accustomed to the online hands-off demos or hands-on things over Parsec. What was it like being in the room with devs and journalists and letting people actually physically go hands-on with the game? <laughs> It, I kind of loved it, and I'm def I'm going to plug one of our clients because this episode comes out on Friday, and it's 
I did demos for Alchemy Labs' new game, Cosmonius High. Alchemy Labs is the developer for Job Simulator and Vacation Simulator. So most people who've played VR are familiar with their games because they are just hilarious and fun and, I want to say, great intros to the space. Um, so their new game actually comes out this Thursday, March 31st. If you have a VR headset, I highly recommend getting it because... I know I'm a PR person and I do PR for this game, but I genuinely love it. And doing demos in person, it was, I don't know, it was just so interesting to watch other people try out this game for the first time, um, their reactions to it. Like they found it funny. You could tell they were like kind of in awe of the world and each person has a different play style and some people just like wanted to dive headfirst, not follow like they didn't want to do the activities in the classrooms. They just wanted to like explore in VR and touch everything (laughs) and like you can interact with everything in this game and watching people do that in demos was, I don't know, it just was a lot of fun because you kind of forget how different people have different play styles like what is it that they are going to find interesting in a game um what are they getting out of the demo sometimes it's hard when you've been working on a game for so long and it's just like you feel like it everything will like make sense but then someone will have a question and you're like i never even thought of that like um so yeah it was i think it was very helpful for us just to kind of get a a new look on how people play the game um, but the the in-person demos actually went pretty smoothly, even though the the Marriott had a a strong uh, restrictions on their internet and we couldn't cast the headset to the TV. So we couldn't see what people were playing, but I, we were following vis- or audio cues. Like I could hear what they were doing <laughs> and I knew where they were. And um, so it was, it added an interesting challenge. I was going to but... say, it feels very... Uh you know, par for the course that the first in-person demos would have something weird like that. Like, oh yeah, of course we can't cast it to the TV. Yeah, it's... <laughs> poor poor Blaine and our client, Vanessa, they spent like five hours that Monday trying <laughs> to figure it out. Like, got a Chromecast, nothing would work. They t- tried to hotspot it, but yeah, their TVs just would not let you do anything on them, so... <laughs> Hmm, that's pretty sus. That's <laughs> me. <laughs> uh, well, folks, uh, any other tales from GDC or being around in San Francisco that you want to share uh, before we close out? Kate, was this your first time in the city? It was. Um, I I didn't see as much as I probably <laughs> would have liked. I was going to extend my stay, but just finance, financially, the flights were outrageously expensive to come home on the weekend so i was like i'll just go back to san francisco but i had delicious food though some of the best fish there's just something about having fish when you're on like the ocean you just it's so fresh and delicious um we had a fun night of karaoke thursday night (laughs) i saw that on instagram (laughs) yes it was it was an interesting karaoke location um but we had fun. We made it work. Eric, any other closing tales or thoughts? Yeah, like uh, real quick, uh, it's not about San Francisco, but I did get to attend one panel and it was about Japanese indies, which I found really interesting and related to comms. And it was talking about how Japanese indie devs have to overcome a lot of cultural hurdles to get their game publicly noticed. And what stood out to me the most was Language barrier was a significant hurdle, which discouraged devs from reaching out to Western press, even if they wanted the coverage. Hmm. And I found that really interesting because um, you would think like if they wanted Western coverage, they would still try to make an effort. But no, they they don't make any effort to try to reach out to Western press. So I was like starting to brainstorm ways of meeting that need I wish I was better at Japanese language, <laughs> but um, that that really stood out to me. Uh, it was one of the only panels I got to attend, um, and I am hoping that we can see more Japanese indie representation over here in Western media um, eventually. So, 
Oh, you bring up a very good point on their language barriers, and I wish it was easier to like find ways to overcome that. Uh, I don't know. I think I feel like there's been an increase in like diversity when it comes to journalists. I can think of a few. I think that kind of focus on Japanese indies. Um, I would love to see more of that too, and getting coverage for them in media and. You, you give me something to think about, Eric. Right, right. It's something I've been thinking about, too. Still in the process of sorting it out in my brain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a space that definitely could use more recognition. And it sounds like an interesting panel. Thanks for highlighting that, Eric. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank you both for sharing your GDC experiences. I was uh, super excited to hear about them. And uh, hopefully we'll have many more tales from uh, in-person events to come. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll do one on PAX East after after that. That'll be fun. Hopefully, oh, it'll be, be a nice week in Boston. A little later uh, in the year, not as cold. Oh, my God. My first time in Boston, it was frigid cold. <laughs> and I still did everything outside and almost got frostbite. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm glad they pushed uh, PAX East yeah. back a month. <laughs> it will be much warmer in April. Well, keep it posted to real-time strats on social media to follow us and find uh, when our PAX East episode will come. You can email us questions at podcast at triplepointpr.com. Eric, where can the people find you? Oh, goodness. Well, uh, you can find me at Eric Schuler on Twitter, which is E-R-I-C-H-S-C-H-U-L-E-R. Um, that's probably the best way to reach out to me. You can also find me on LinkedIn <laughs> using my name and... Uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to me uh, about Japan, about Wuvit, about PR. I'm willing to talk to um, any of you about those topics at any time. Very nice. Caitlin, where can the people find you? You can find me at Caitlin Redwing at Twitter, just my name. Um, should be in probably the episode description. It's Caitlin has 10 million spellings. Um, <laughs> and I am also on LinkedIn, but Twitter is the best way to reach me and my DMs are open too if anybody has any questions. How about you, Sam? You can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn at Sam Scott Mosier. Uh, and on that note, connect with us. Look for us at future in-person events. And thank you so much for listening. Thanks. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye.